All right, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 tonight. Thank you, Brother and Mrs. Foote, for that song. Luke chapter 15. This is a very familiar passage for most of us in here. Um, of all the parables that Jesus gave, this is probably my favorite one. Uh, and actually, the first message that I ever preached here at Canaan, which is the first message that I ever preached, was, uh, was out of this passage in Luke chapter 15. Uh, it's a different message that I'm going to preach tonight uh, because this, like a lot of passages in the Bible, you can look at it from a completely different perspective. You can preach it in so many different ways. Um, and so I'm very grateful for the opportunity uh, to preach out of this passage again. You know those messages where uh, the preacher comes comes up like right to the pulpit and he's just like, you know, I, I had plans to preach another message tonight, uh, but the Lord just laid a completely different message on my heart. Anytime I would hear uh, a preacher say something like that, I would sit in my seat and I'm like, man, that seems like it would be, that seems like it would be stressful to be standing up there and then like just right on a, right on a fly. You're like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna change it. Um, well, uh, in God's wonderful uh, sense of humor. That's what happened to me today at four o'clock. So uh, I, I knew it was bound to happen at some point. Uh, but you know what I found? The, the stress does not come from the lack of preparation for a new message. It comes from purposing to preach a message that the Lord has not given you peace about. Um, that is, is stressful. Uh, and so I, am, I, I feel fine now that I finally yielded and, and went with a, with a different one. Um, that being said, I have preached this message before, but it was to our academy students uh, in a chapel message. Um, and so the Lord just laid it on my heart to, to preach it here tonight. So I'm trusting in his leadership and hoping that it will be a blessing to you tonight. So if you're there in Luke 15, let's all stand and we're going to read what we know to be the story of the prodigal son, starting in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 11. And he said, Jesus speaking, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word and uh, the lessons that we can glean from it. And Lord, I, I really don't know why you had me 
switch messages tonight, but you do. Uh, and I do pray that you help me as I, I preach this message tonight. Help me to preach it with clarity. And um, I pray that your word go forth with power. Lord, I need you. I, I beg your, your help right now as I, as I give your word uh, because I'm not the one that's able to convict hearts. That's solely your job. So Lord, have your will be done in this service tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So um, as I said, there are different perspectives that you can take when breaking down this parable, but we're going to look at probably the most common perspective this evening, and that's of the son that went his own way. Um, before we get into that, though, I want to ask everyone a question. Now, it's a rhetorical question, meaning do not answer it out loud, please. Um, but I do want you to answer it in your heart, and I want you to really think about it. Uh, and this may sound like a question that's geared towards the younger uh, people in here, but it's not. It's a question that all of us should be asking ourselves. That is, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? You know, that's a question that I remember being asked uh, by a lot of people growing up, and it was especially in my teenage years. You know, as a teenager, you hit 10th, 11th, 12th grade, you're about to graduate high school, uh, and everybody is, is wanting to know, what are you going to do? Uh, what, what do you want to study? What career path do you want to pursue? And let me tell you, I absolutely hated it whenever people asked me that question, because I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. Nada, nothing. I had no inkling, no thoughts. I had, I had maybe some, some, you know, interest, but I was like, I have no idea how to make that a career. And so it was just, I was lost. But you know what? A lot of people do think that they know what they want to do with their lives and they, they have a plan in place and they're ready to take that jump or maybe they're, they're already pursuing that plan for their life. But there's just one glaring problem with that. They've never considered what God wants them to do with their lives. See, it's easy to see when reading this passage that the son, the prodigal son, was bent on having his own way or doing what he wanted to do. But the problem is that while this young man did exactly what he wanted to do, his plans didn't really pan out the way that he envisioned. In fact, he found himself more depressed and miserable than he had ever been before in his life, which begs the question, did he really know what he wanted? Did this son really know what he wanted? Now that everything had settled down and his desires had run their course, now that he had all of the factors in place to observe, did this young man really know what he wanted? Obviously not. And for most of us, neither do we. And we're going to talk about this topic tonight, and it's the title of this message, You Don't Know what you want. You don't know what you want. I don't think it will surprise anyone in this room, um, especially since most of you have children, uh, to find out that young people tend to have a pretty bad habit of making some very horrible, horrible decisions. Uh, and the young man in our parable here is no exception. The Bible says in Proverbs that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Uh, and so that's what you parents are for, to drive the foolishness out of us children, right? Um, and uh, we have, we have that, that same situation here. Foolishness just being bound in the heart of this young man. He made some very horrible life decisions that he was 100% sure he wanted to make. Decisions that he knew would bring him the greatest amount of joy and the most pleasure that he could possibly imagine. Or I should say he knew. He was sure of it. 
But his father had different plans for him. His father did not approve of these nor condone the, the life decisions that this man was choosing. All right. He had a plan of, of what he wanted for his son. But the son believed that his plan was better than what his father had for him. And I, I read these parables and you just look through the, the, the Gospels and you see the parables that, that Jesus was teaching. And he's just a master uh, teacher. And he, he crafted this parable in a way that it's applicable for all of us. In this parable, uh, obviously, the father represents our heavenly father, God. And how we're looking at it this evening, the son is going to represent all of us. Because how many of you in here have ever made a bad decision before? Yep, there we go. All right. We're all qualified then. So we each have an opportunity uh, and to, to make decisions with our lives. And we all have very important decisions to make with our lives. And the decisions basically boil down to, will we follow God's path or will we follow our own path? Just like the son did in this story, he had to make that decision. All right, just like each of us have the opportunity to do as well. But if you choose to follow your own path and do what you want to do, you will come to the same realization that the son in this story did. And that is, you don't know what you want. And so we're going to break down tonight what inevitably happens to everyone that chooses their own path uh, over the path that God laid out for them. And I've got three points, so let's get into them. What will happen if you decide to do what you want to do and follow your own path? Point number one, you will have fun. You will have fun. You're thinking, this is not going the way that I thought it was going to go. Well, I'm not done with the point. It's you will have fun, dot, 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 for a little while. You will have fun, but only for a little while. Make no mistake, in, in verse 13, where it says that this son took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living, he is having the time of his life. He is living his wildest dreams. All of them are coming true. His most bizarre and crazy fantasies that he dreamed of whenever he was living in his father's house, he is living them now in the flesh. And he is having a blast and while verse 13 is where the fun begins for this young man, verse 13 is also where the fun ends. It doesn't last very long. Even though this young man was, was so sure of the path that he chose for himself, nowhere else in this chapter do we see him having fun uh, while on his own path. The phrase that is used to describe what this son was doing uh, to have his fun is the phrase riotous living. Uh, in other words, he was indulging in every wicked and immoral practice that the world has to offer him. If there was an opportunity for immoral relations, this young man took it. If there was an opportunity for substance abuse, this young man took it. Uh, if there was an opportunity for drunkenness, he took it. If there was an opportunity for him to experience some sort of pleasure at all, he took it. He held back nothing. He was deceived, though like billions of others have been as well into believing that these kinds of things in life could bring joy, that they could bring true satisfaction or that they could bring true happiness. But in the end, he was deceived because he got none of those things. You know what the Bible says uh, in Proverbs 20 and verse 17? It says that the bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards... His mouth shall be filled with gravel. And the teenagers will probably remember this, uh, this illustration. Um, you can pretty much find 
any weird video you want on YouTube if you, if you look hard enough. And I remember when I was a teenager, um, just a video came, came across my path, uh, and it was really funny. Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, so in this video, you have these people. It's like a family reunion or something that was going on, and they were having a caramel apple eating contest. All right, and so they're, they're having this contest and there's just these big old guys in the family and they're there and they have the caramel apples on the table and you know, they have their hands behind their backs and then the, the, the family members say go and then they just start, they grab those things and they just start devouring them like animals. I mean, it's, it's pretty grotesque to watch. Um, but um, I mean, they're just absolutely demolishing them and they're having like a, a bracket system in their family to see, all right, who's the top two caramel apple eaters? Weird, I know, but, but just follow along with me. Um, and so, unbeknownst to these men, the two champion caramel apple eaters, this whole thing was a big prank. Because as they made their way through the ranks and, uh, you know, defeating their foes in this caramel apple eating contest, by the time they got to the last one, where it's just the guy and, and his, uh, his arch nemesis going against each other, who is the championship caramel apple eater, they have their hands behind their backs, the family says, go, and then they just start getting after and devouring these caramel apples. But as you're watching the video, you start to see that as they're just chomping away, taking these bites and chewing and chewing and chewing, their faces just contort into this face of sheer disgust because it is no longer apples that are covered in caramel, but onions. And so these guys are, are eating these caramel onions and their, their minds are just thinking, all right, it's sweet, right? The initial, initial thing that I'm eating, it's sweet, it's tasty, it's delicious. But then as they get a little bit more into it, it's not so sweet. It's pretty disgusting, actually. And none of them, none of those guys decided, all right, this is great, and swallowed what it is that they were chewing. No, they spit it out because it was disgusting to them, right? Sin is like that caramel onion. It looks good on the outside. And you take a bite, and it, it even tastes sweet for a short moment. But as you keep chewing, you find it's not as tasty as you thought it was going to be in the first place. And so the problem with following our own path and doing what we want to do is that once you've had your fun, as Proverbs says, your mouth is going to be filled with gravel. Your, once your sin has run its course, you then have, point number two, wounds. You will have wounds. I've heard pastors say it uh, many times. You can choose your sin, but you do not get to choose your consequences. And by now, we're all very familiar with what Galatians 6, 7 says. If you've been attending the men's refreshers on Sunday nights, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Meaning you can sin. You can choose your own way and you can think that you will get away without any consequences. But God says, I will make sure you reap the consequences, both the good consequences and the bad consequences. And that's not to say that God is not forgiving and he, he is a very forgiving God and he's ready for, to forgive us whenever we sin. But another very important character trait of God is that he is just. And much like we would expect a judge to properly deal with a murderer or a bank robber in a courtroom and make them reap the consequences for their sins, for their crimes, God is no different. 
Now, thankfully, after we're saved, we don't have to deal with the eternal consequences of our sins because the eternal consequences of our sin is death in, in, in the lake of fire for all of eternity. We're not going to experience those consequences if we're saved tonight. And there's a good place to say amen, right? Um, but if we choose to indulge in sin as a saved person, we do indeed run the risk of dealing with the temporal consequences here on earth and developing some serious wounds physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. If you choose to indulge in, in the sin of impurity, your wounds may be something like a sexually transmitted disease uh, that is threatening to take your life or maybe a fractured marriage uh, of, of, uh, with your current or future spouse if you're not even married. If you choose to indulge in the sin of alcohol or drugs and substance abuse, your wounds may be uh, cirrhosis of the liver or lung cancer, or some other uh, insane health scare that you have. And you could also find yourself in great poverty because you've, you've spent all the money feeding your sin. If you're uh, one to indulge in the sin of anger, you can expect to reap fractured and broken relationships with the people that you care about. See, the, the thing with sin is it promises to give you happiness. Sin promises to give us pleasure. It promises to give us relief, whatever, right? Uh, but only if you feed it. Only if you give it something in return for what it's giving you. Because sin never works for free. It will always take something from you. It, it, it may take away your money, your family, your health, your sanity, your reputation, you name it. But here's the catch. You do not get to choose what sin takes from you. And we can go through a long list of, of sins and potential consequences. And uh, you might even be thinking, Brother Baker, I, I, I'm not planning on doing any of that stuff that, that you just mentioned. I mean, that's really bad stuff. And I agree. Uh, you know, you might think, I just want to do this thing over here, right? Um, now, I don't want us to get confused about what I'm referring to as sin in this message, because I get it. I, ne I, I never want to assume anything, uh, but I realize that the crowd that I'm talking to tonight probably is not involved in the gross immorality that is mentioned in this parable. But the point that I'm trying to make is that not all sin looks the same. You don't have to be involved in gross immorality like the son in the story was uh, to be in the same place that he is. You simply have to follow any other will but God's. And you are in sin. That's all it takes. Uh, headed to the same destination as the son in this parable. Because the reality is, any time you choose to reject any part of the will of God you are indeed turning away from him and you are sinning, just like the son in this parable. And while you may not be physically partaking in any of the sins that I mentioned or that are mentioned in this passage, some may be sitting here with a rebellious attitude, with a selfish pride that says, I'm my own person. I can do whatever it is that I want. I'm an adult. Or maybe if there's a young person in the room uh, that might be saying, uh, hey, man, I, I can't wait to finally get out of my parents' house so I can finally do what I want. Well, yeah, that's the same thing that the son in this parable thought too. But when we think like that, think about how arrogant and foolish you have to be to think that you can come up with a better plan for your life than God. That is sin. 
It's the sin of unbelief. And when you find yourself there, you are following the son right to the pig pen. Uh, because as you've heard pastor say, uh, pastor quote many times, uh, he, he quotes this verse very frequently, James 1.15, uh, when lust hath conceived, it bring forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death, right? It's never going to end well, no matter how light you think your sin is. So whenever we decide to follow our own path and neglect the will of God, whatever that may look like in our lives, that is sin. We've transgressed and we need to remember that the way of the transgressor is very, very hard. But Jesus said, hey, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For I'm meek and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It says nothing about difficulty in the will of God, but our will, the way of transgressors, that does cause some serious difficulties in our life. Sin is only always going to bring destruction and wounds. And once you've discovered those wounds, you will find that you will also have Point number three, regrets. What will happen if you decide to, to do what you want to do? If you forsake the, the will of God and follow your own path and said, you're going to have fun, at least for a little while. You will have wounds and you will, point number three, have regrets. So right after the fun of, of sin in verse 13 uh, and the wounds that resulted, we get what is, to me, the saddest phrase in this whole chapter. Verse 14 says, and when he had spent all. As I've, I've already mentioned, uh, sin will take everything from you. And you have no, no choice as to what it takes from you. It takes whatever it wants. And it took everything from this young man. This young man spent all of his money, a lot of money. It was his entire inheritance that he, that he spent. It was all gone. But the money that was spent on this journey in reality was the least valuable thing that he spent. Because on this journey to a far country, this young man spent whatever sense of morality that he had. He spent whatever shred of purity that he still had under the safety of living in his father's house. And whatever ounce of honor or respect that this young man had, gone. He spent it. He has nothing left. He gave himself over to his own will, to the most wicked lifestyles that he could find with no intentions of holding back. He poured not just his money, but himself into his own desires, hoping to get some sense of fulfillment, some sense of joy or happiness. He gave everything he had to his own will and got nothing in return. You know, he thought he knew what he wanted and he got what he wanted but it took everything from him and left him with nothing. Then we see at the end of verse 14 that he began to be in want. In other words, he was lacking and he had some serious regrets. He looked around and said, what in the world have I done? I have no money. I have no food. I don't even have shoes on my feet for crying out loud. What have I done? He followed his own path and it led him to complete and utter misery. And now he finds himself trying to figure out a way to get out of the mess that he just plunged himself into. And the only way is back to the Father. That's the only way he can go. That's what he, the, the conclusion that he comes to. He says, nobody else is going to help me. I guess I'll try Dad. I guess I'll try my Father. I mean, if I can just get 
you know, a servant's job in his house, it's better than, better than what I'm living in right now. So you know how the story goes. The young man, broken and filthy and filled with shame, makes his way back to his father, uh, makes his way back to his father's house, hoping that his father will have some pity on him and just make him a servant. But that's not what happens. The father sees his son afar off and runs to him, puts his arms around him and rejoices. He puts a clean, new, beautiful robe around his shoulders. He puts an expensive ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and then he throws a giant feast for him. The father forgave his son and fully restored him. And we look at that and we're like, man, that's a great story. And I agree with you, it is. And here's the thing, though. Right when the son gets back to the father, it's at that moment, right there. You know what the son realized? That he never really knew what it is that he wanted until right now. When the son finally came to his senses, you know what he actually realized he wanted? Exactly what the father had been offering him the entire time. Why, why now, though? Why is he just now realizing this? Well, because he finally understands just how much his father loves him, just how much his father cares for him, just how forgiving his father actually is, just how much his father desires a relationship with him. The son now knows what he truly wants because now he truly knows his father. You know, so many Christians choose not to believe that God is as good as he says he is. They choose not to believe that God is as loving as he says he is. They choose to not believe that God is as wise as he says he is. And you say, you know, you keep saying choose. Why do you keep emphasizing the word choose? Well, because all Christians will say that they believe God is good. All Christians will say that they believe God is loving. And all Christians will say that they believe God is wise and that he has their best interest in, in, in mind. Uh, but their feet do not follow what their mouths are saying. You see, their, their mouth says, oh man, God is so good. But their feet say, I don't really know if I want to follow God's will. And, you know, their, their mouth says, oh man, God is so loving. But then their feet say, I don't know if I can fully surrender to God because I'm afraid he might send me to a place that I would actually hate. Doesn't sound very loving. You know, their mouth says God is, is so wise, but their feet say, my plan is better. Yeah, my plan is better. You know, their mouth says God loves me and cares so much for me. He only has my best interest in mind. Well, then why don't you do anything that he tells you to do? You know what Jesus called people like that? Hypocrites. Now, I'm not going to have the, the gall to call any of us, any of you hypocrites, at least. I'll have the gall to call myself a hypocrite because I've portrayed that same, those same tendencies. You read James chapter 2, and there's a lot of talk about faith in there. And it's saying faith, what you say you believe without works is dead. What you say you believe without what you actually do, it's meaningless, it's dead, it's worthless. You can say you believe all of these wonderful things about God just like the world does. 
But if you don't follow it up with action, it proves two things about us. That we're a lying hypocrite, and while you may be saved, you don't truly know your Father. And hear me clearly when I say this. Until you truly know your Heavenly Father, you do not know what you want. It's impossible, actually, for you to know what you want until you know the Father. Because the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You know what that verse means? When you truly get to know and have an actual real relationship with your heavenly father, then and only then will he show you what it is that you really want in life. But until then, you can believe whatever lies the world spits at you. You can believe whatever, whatever lies Satan whispers in your ear. You can believe whatever impulse your flesh brings upon you, but you do not truly know what you want because what you want only comes from what the Father tells us we want, the true desires of our heart. Pretty much for, for yeah, teenagers are going to know exactly where I'm going with this. There is a phrase that I absolutely detest, uh, and it's one that the world likes to preach and the world likes to chant a whole lot, and it just grinds my gears so badly whenever I hear it. It's the phrase... Follow your heart. Oh, so sweet, right? Uh, yeah, no, it's horrible. It's horrible, horrible advice. Uh, but you see it everywhere, right? You go into, I'm sorry, Katie. I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Faith. They work at Hobby Lobby. But you go into Hobby Lobby and you see it on mugs. You see it on pillows. You see it on pieces of driftwood that people put on their walls. Uh, you, you go in there and it says, follow your heart. And it looks so beautiful and it looks so wonderful and, yes, yeah, so encouraging, right? No, that is horrible, Horrible advice. And every time I, I see those things, I want to destroy them with all of my heart in the most ferocious way that I possibly can. And anytime I hear someone sincerely say, follow your heart, intending for it to be a piece of good advice, it makes me want to ram my head into a brick wall because I have tried following my own heart. And you know what I found out? It does not work. I've tried it and it doesn't work. And many of you can have the same testimony. You've tried following your heart, and it never turns out good for you. You know, I was saved uh, January 7th, 2002. I was a little six-year-old boy. Uh, and you know uh, how old I was when I actually started taking my relationship with the Lord seriously? 23. I was saved at six, and then I did a bunch of stuff, and then 20, 23 is whenever I actually started taking my relationship with the Lord seriously. For 17 years, I was following my heart. For 17 years, I was the fakest Christian that you could possibly imagine. I was the kid that was in church. I sat in the front row, and my preacher looked at me and said, you teenagers need to be like Yusuf. Little did he know, I had a mask on my face, and I was a filthy liar. I was a wicked, wicked teenager. My parents would even say, he was a pretty good kid. No, I was not. I was wicked. I was vile, all right? Uh, and why? Because I was doing my own thing. I was following my heart for 17 years, and you know what it was? It was a giant waste of time. 
Do not believe the lies that say if you follow your heart, you'll be happy or just trust your heart or, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. Let me give you some better advice. And it's not mine. It comes from God. All right. Jeremiah 17, 9. Let's try this one on for size. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What about Proverbs 28, verse 26? He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. In other words, don't believe the lies that your heart tells you because your heart is a liar. Your heart does not know what you want, but God does. And if you seek to experience God now, he will give you the desires of your heart, which means he will show you what it is that you truly want in life. Many people have have sacrificed experiencing God and laying up treasures in heaven for the temporary sweetness of sin here on earth, for the, for the temporary pleasure that comes with doing what they want to do. They're so focused on the immediate that they completely sacrifice all of eternity. And the Bible says in, in Matthew 6, lay not up treasures for, uh, upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. That is what we are supposed to be doing. We're all going to come face to face with our Savior one day and all of our works are going to go through the fire. And what we hope to see coming out of the fire is gold and silver and precious stones, right? And we take those things and we place them back at the feet of our Savior and we hear those words that every Christian truly, if they knew what they wanted, desires to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want that. And whether we believe it or not, you want that as well. But that doesn't come from doing what we want to do. That only comes from doing what God wants you to do. You don't know what you want. And that's okay. Because you have a perfect heavenly father that has a perfect plan for you. And it's a plan that will bring you greater joy and fulfillment than you can possibly imagine. I know I've shared my my full testimony with at least the teenagers. They've heard it probably more than, than they wish to. Um, but uh, I've, I don't think I've ever given it publicly. Um, in 2020, I, uh, I was still working for my dad, the vending machine business. And, you know, I wasn't, I, I was involved in church. I had already started taking my relationship with the Lord seriously. Um, and the Lord was, was working in my heart. And I, I started to grow more sensitive to what the Lord was doing in my life. And, you know, things were, were starting to change. And I'm, you know, thinking, all right, I don't want to keep working this, this job doing the vending machines. It's time for me to, to find what I'm supposed to do, right? And I'm praying to God, asking him to open doors for me and, and to, you know, just present an opportunity for me. Now, I, I, most of you know in here that I love guns, all right? Firearms, they're, they're my thing. I like building them. They're a blast. Got into them when I was 15 years old, and uh, I still like building them. They're super fun. Uh, have a great time with them, right? Um, and so I knew at that point, at least, that I at least wanted to do something in the firearms industry. And that was kind of my goal. But I had no idea how to get into that until uh, Brother Larry Mooney. Uh, he's actually a big part of my testimony. He actually offered me a job working for him. Uh, and uh, this was back in, in early 2020, I think it was. I'm not 100% sure of the exact time. Um, but he offered me a job, and it was a job uh, working as a jailer. But he told me, 
I want you to be a police officer. I want you to, to, to start working with me, and I'm going to walk you through the process. I mean, for, for a guy like me, I was looking at that, and I'm like, boom, prayed for an open door. Like, it's right there, right? Uh, it's an open door as wide open as I can possibly see. And I was so excited, and I was elated. And I told Brother Mooney, yes, I will take that job. But the next day, after I got that, that job offer from Brother Mooney, and let me, let me backtrack a little bit, basically knowing that I wanted to go into the firearms industry, having pre-qualifications as a police officer, I could see 10, 12, 15 years into the future thinking, all right, I get some, some years of, of police work under my belt, getting into the firearms industry is going to be a breeze after that point because literally everybody in the firearms industry was once in law enforcement. And so it was just a piece of cake, two and two together. I was like, I'm done. I'm good. This is awesome. The next day, I get a text from uh, Miss Andrea Redmond, and she says, hey, pastor wanted to, uh, uh, wanted to ask you if you would be willing to work as the Sunday school teacher for the little kids here in the church. And I was thinking, man, that's great. Obviously, I'm going to do that. You know, my, my relationship with the Lord is growing, and I have a desire to, to be with the kids because I had worked with kids in, in my old church in Miami. And I was like, man, this is, this is just awesome. I can't believe all this is happening. It's like everything is coming together so perfectly. And then... I stopped and thought about it for a second. I was like, Brother Mooney, uh, with this job that, that you're offering me, um, what will my Sundays look like? And he told me, uh, you'll, be, you'll probably be working uh, at least two Sundays out of the month. So you'll miss two Sundays out of the month. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, if you're a Sunday school teacher, being present at church on Sunday is kind of part of the gig. Uh, and so... I realized I had, I had a problem, all right? I had this, this problem of I've been praying for God to give me a job. Specifically, I've been praying for God to give me a job, doing something that I would enjoy doing. And he did. He presented me with an opportunity that was better than I could have possibly asked for. But then I also knew that I had a burden to work with young people. And that opportunity was presented to me as well. The problem was, I couldn't take both of them. And so my heart was literally just like being torn both ways, where I was just like, man, I can't believe this. And you know what I actually did? I was reading in, uh, in Proverbs uh, the morning that I got the text from, from Andrea, uh, and I was like, man, I was just so, so ripped up. And I read uh, Proverbs, uh, what is it? Uh, let, me, let me turn there. Real quick, um, Proverbs twelve verse. Uh, where was it? One second. Uh, Proverbs fifteen and verse number. I can't find it. All right, I don't remember what it is. Um, but um, uh, it says, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, uh, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise." All right, and so I immediately read that verse, and I was like, "I need to, I need to call Pastor." And so I texted Pastor Ingram, and I, and I texted him. I said. Hey man, I need to talk to you. I didn't say hey man though. Um, and so I, I, but I, I told him I have a problem. I need to talk to you because I've been presented with this opportunity and I've been presented with this opportunity. I want both of them and I can't have both of them. And so he said, come on by, come to the church and, and we can talk. And honestly, I got in my car and I started driving to the church and I had already purposed in my, in my mind, I'm going to take the job with Brother Mooney. I'm going to go and, and at least have the dignity to tell Pastor Ingram to his face that I'm going to deny this opportunity to teach Sunday school. 
Unbeknownst to me, uh, the Lord really uh, changed my heart on the, on the drive over there. And whenever I got into his office, uh, I'm sitting there and like the words are coming out of my mouth and said, I'll take the Sunday school position. I'm not going to take the job with Brother Mooney. I'm like, why did I even come here? Uh, that's what I was, what I was thinking in my, in my head. Um, and, and from then on, I mean, the rest, is, the rest is history. It was that decision that got me into working in the school or working, working in, the, in Sunday school. And it was through that decision, being in church as, as often as I, as I should have been, that the Lord just opened my heart to being around children. And it's that time that, that the Lord just opened my heart and made me more sensitive to his will in my life. And it was from that leading, from taking that path, rather than the one that I wanted to go on, that is what eventually led the Lord to, on October 4th, 2020, calling me to preach and showing me what it is that I really want. See, I thought I wanted one thing. I thought I wanted the job with Brother Mooney. And at the time, I did. I I really did want it. But you know what I'm convinced of at this point? Had I taken that position, had I gone with what I wanted, I don't think it would have brought me the fulfillment that I was anticipating. I don't think it would have brought me the joy that that I was anticipating it would bring me. Why? Because it wasn't God's will. Not because it wasn't a great opportunity, but because it wasn't God's will for me. And so I'm not saying all of this to look like some great Christian, because honestly, if you hang around me for about 45 seconds, you'll find out that that's not very true, uh, and you'll, you'll find it out very quickly, all right? I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back, because all of you have testimony that you can give of you know, uh, forks in the road that, that you could have done one thing, but you followed God's will instead. And uh, I hope everybody has testimony of that. I'm saying all of this to say that I don't have any regrets from following God's will over my own. And neither will you. You don't want to have fun for a season. You don't want to have wounds that, that, are, that take forever to heal. You don't want the regrets that come with following your own path. So get to know your heavenly father and let him show you what it is that you truly want because left by ourselves, you don't know what you want. Let's all stand.